Unearthing Paranormalcy is part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. Welcome to another episode of Unearthing Paranormalcy, the podcast that digs into the paranormal and tries to find normalcy in the topic. I'm Amy. I'm Dave. I'm Chad. And I'm Chelsea. We got four again. I like having four people. And I'm not the only girl. (laughs) (laughs) We have a fourth. Yay! I'm so excited too. We're no longer a thruple. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> Chad doesn't have to be the third wheel anymore. Yep. <laughs> I, I always thought I was the third wheel. <laughs> <laughs> you really kind of were. But it's only because we share brains. So it's kind of more like we just functioned as one unit. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I was only here because I did most of the research. <laughs> well, that too. But. <laughs> I read a book every once in a while. I said most. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I would like to announce that if you go to our Facebook page, you will find the link for the Dildroner. Woo! They have mm-hmm. an Etsy page. and it's I know. I looked at it. It's very reasonably priced. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about ordering a keychain. I am too. Heck I, yeah. I kind of actually thought about ordering the, the bunch of little bitty ones. The bag of dicks. The bag of dicks. <laughs> um, there has been talk on the dildo page about a possible scavenger hunt <gasps> where the dildroner would go around and hide little dicks in places and if you find them you post it on Facebook and where you found it and stuff. I don't mm-hmm. know if it's like official yet but there was discussion of this because somebody found one at the more liquor store and took it up to the front counter and asked if he could keep it. <laughs> he sent more liquor store customized large uh 3d printed dildo with says more liquor on it mm-hmm. oh awesome they're pretty funny <laughs> they're the rain- rainbow dildos but he 3 3d prints them have you seen these no i haven't no, seen them uh, have you heard the story yes about the dicks being placed everywhere and more oh my god yes it's all anybody can talk about I- i'm just <laughs> i'm just so proud to be from Oklahoma when shit like this happens. Most of the stuff that you know we catch, like you hear about, is just like all like negative crap about Oklahoma. You know, this redneck shot this redneck or neck or you know, this Bigfoot. Th- no, it was the down that they the guy killed the guy because he summoned Bigfoot. Yeah, those are the stories that make national news in Oklahoma. And damn it, I want the dicks. 
the flying dicks to make national news. <laughs> that would be news I'd want to be about. Exactly, right? That's what we wanted to be known for. Exactly. Right? But it's much better than Bigfoot murders. Yeah. Jeez, oh my that's God. The, that's the bag of dicks. <laughs> Those were awesome. <laughs> one, uh, what, one and a half inch 3D printed dicks. Those are awesome. Um, I guess I will also post yeah. the link in our description. Keychain key dick. Yeah, you're right. Really reasonably priced. And even the big one's like 20 bucks, I think. Now, what happens if we hide these around and then we take pictures of them and get him some real good advertisement? <laughs> you know? I I am really, truly a big fan of the, his whole movement here. Yeah. I mean, it's a grassroots movement. Yeah. So. It's like an I spy. The, one of the best things about this <laughs> group and Facebook is just all the dick jokes and dick memes. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's, it's never ending. Do you think this guy's just sitting at home like, my plan is working. It's blown up well, way <laughs> bigger than I thought it was going he to be. wrote <laughs> a letter like, I to the person I don't know what to do with all this fame. <laughs> uh, actually, I think it's a London more liquor. He's like, people have asked like, if I'm doing this as a statement. He's like, no, I was just doing it because it was funny. And he's and it's like it's one of those things at this point in time, anything to make people laugh is needed. Is, is needed. And I think that this is just absolutely amazing. And I'm trying to find the actual address so I can share it with you guys on here right now. Oh, the Etsy page I just had it pulled up. I think it's dildroner.etsy.com. It brings like new thoughts to having teenage boys and then drawing dicks on everything. Well, now this is just a much better <laughs> way of keeping this going it's right out there for everyone exactly it's not just on your car instead it's all over your walmart well his name is dill drone on etsy he's made 54 sales mm-hmm. people have been posting what they've gotten from him mm-hmm. yes there's the keychain there's the bag of dicks there's the big dick that comes with three miniature magnetic dicks uh-huh but it's pretty funny yeah next there will be jewelry <laughs> Five five star reviews. I don't think anybody is unhappy with his work so far. Everyone loves his dick. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Happy to own a little memento of the most hilarious event ever to bring the city together. Seller is awesome. I wish them happy and a very successful future. Happy to have a piece of more Oklahoma history. Thank you for bringing joy to our community and now sharing them with us. It's so fun and colorful. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But yes, it's a, I'll, put, I'll put the link in the description of this show. So we'll be good to go there. So before we get started in this week's episode, promo from one of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network shows. Shush. Shush. Do you love horror movies, the occult, and the satanic panic? Well, at Camera Occulta, that's all we do. We will watch the movies so you don't have to, and then shit talk about them for an hour. Join us when we get around to it. Me, Pythea, and occasionally Luke, for a show that is strictly about the occult representation in film. What is this week's episode about? Well, we're going to go back... To one of our very first episodes that isn't even listed for you guys to listen to anymore. And we're going to start redoing them now that we know what in the hell we're doing. 
because, you know, we didn't know what we were doing for a long time. We're slow learners. And there's a big curve to podcasting. <laughs> so we're going back to the superstitions episode. And instead of trying to shove 33 superstitions into one episode, we're going to do one superstition per episode. <laughs> so, Dave? Yeah. Take us away. Okay. Yeah, we're going to break this down by individual topics so we can dig as far into the symbolism as we can. Episode one in this series is all about mirrors. And like most of our series, they will not run concurrent. Mirrors and mirror imagery have been reflected in mythology, occultism, folklore, magic practice, urban legends, and horror. Hundreds of tales like Narcissus, Through the Looking Glass, and Bloody Mary have generated warnings, superstitions, and fear of these portals. Links to paranormal activity can be made concerning the presence or interaction with mirrors. Over time, shamans, druids, priests, Greek philosophers, and other practitioners have consulted mirrors as scrying tools to obtain knowledge of the unknown. Into the unknown. Into the unknown. (laughs) Pythagoras had a magical mirror which he placed in moonlight in order to charge it with lunar occult powers. He would then use the mirror to divine the future. And come up with the Pythagorean theorem. Yay, Pythagorean theorem! I don't remember at all (laughs) that I was helping our daughter with geometry homework the other day. And it literally made me think about him. (laughs) And I was like, oh, you are too young to learn this one yet. But you shall learn this one soon, my child. (laughs) This will be your introduction into the occultness. Oh, wait, no, you're my child. You were introduced to the occultness on the day of your birth. (laughs) (laughs) When the stars aligned. (laughs) So I suppose the first reflections people saw of themselves were in large bodies of water. And if mythology tells us one overall theme, It is that monsters live beyond the reflective surface of the water, just as much as they live in the darkness of pits and caves. Jungian psychology tells us of confronting the reflection of our psyche and that which is hidden in the darkness within our own unconscious. I will tell you, I have seen river monsters, and there are some monsters that live under the water. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Makes me not want to swim in any rivers or lakes. Mm Mm-hmm. It is a prim- it is Sorry. a it is a primitive belief that the reflection can be an actual part of the soul, but it reaches far into our collective consciousness. Mirrors function as gateways into other worlds, and through the looking glass, author Lewis Carroll uses the mirror as a window to a parallel universe of opposites. And the Jabberwocky. As if our current reality was a photo negative image within the interior world of the tale. And Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, the magic mirror always reflects the impartial truth, thus being a symbol of purity and honesty. Mirror, mirror on the wall. It's magic mirror. No. In my timeline that I grew up in, it's mirror, mirror on the wall. Now, had we a jump timeline somewhere and it's different for other people, that's fine. But my timeline had it mirror, mirror on the wall. 
nope. same magic mirror on the wall definitely same <laughs> <laughs> magic mirror on the wall who's, who's the, the greatest of them all yeah those words i even want to say in shrek he says mirror mirror on the wall Mhm. yeah i think i think so I haven't watched Shrek in a while. I'm going to have to rewatch Shrek. Don't Pick oh. three, me lord. <laughs> oh, there's no excuse needed to rewatch <laughs> Shrek. <laughs> in Buddhism, the mirror of Dharma reveals the cause of one's previous actions, adding a layer of enlightenment to the symbolism. For Tibetan Buddhists specifically, the wisdom of the great mirror can be paralleled to Plato's allegory of the cave of shadows. Meaning the things seen within this mirror are just another aspect of the void. Mirrors appear in myths and legends from all over the world. In Japanese mythology, the mirror of the goddess Amaratasu draws light from the darkness of a cavern, and the light rays shine back into our world. Some archaeological discoveries have unearthed mirrors buried with ancient Celtic people and they have discerned that they believed a mirror could capture the soul. The phobia of mirrors is called catoptrophobia. Some cultures believe that a baby should never be shown its own reflection before it is a year old, or else it will die. A broken mirror is a symbol of doom. Doom. An archetypal bad omen and very popular superstitious belief attached to that magical number seven. It's the magic number. Many superstitions concerning mirrors exist. We are just starting to unpack all these themes and concepts. But not only that, we are also going to repack them all within this single episode, and then ask a very simple question. Should it be considered bad luck to break a mirror or not? So you're going to ask us to unpack it and then put it all back together? It's never going to fit back. But it's going to be a broken mirror. It's never going to fit back in there right. Nothing <laughs> ever is unpacked and fits back in where it be- the way it was. It's impossible. <laughs> I think that's the whole idea behind it. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. <laughs> so let's start with a fun fact that includes magpies. Magpie. Magpie. The magpie has a fondness for shiny objects, meaning it's linked to mirrors and reflections. (coughs) But wait, there's more. In Japan, a husband gifting his wife a mirror would be regarded with much suspicion. This is due to the belief the mirror itself could turn into a magpie that would spy on the wife on the husband's behalf. In modern day, it is still common to find on the backs of mirrors made in China Decorations including the magpie and its symbol. I am going to vote that our next superstition is magpies. Magpies. Simply because the magpie became my favorite superstition. Only because me and Amy spent a month (laughs) playing tricks on each other. With magpies. Trying to get each other to look at a magpie. (laughs) And I think it's so fun because we don't have magpies here. So I, I honestly, I couldn't point out a magpie if I had to. So, magpies are bad luck to see them. I'm pretty sure I have a magpie. Those are the ones that mimic other birds, right? That's um, probably a mockingbird. Oh, okay. Then no magpies. Magpies, magpies, they're they're very beautiful. Well, now I need to look up one. England's very popular with them. 
but it's bad luck to see a magpie. And the only way to get rid of the bad luck is to make someone else see it or spin around in a circle ten times, times, something like that. So after we did the episode of Superstitions, Amy changed my computer background at work to a magpie. (laughs) And so I printed off 40 pictures of a magpie and posted them (laughs) and hid them throughout her office. (laughs) (laughs) Magpie. Magpies are really beautiful. They are. Maybe you could print off more and continue. And you're supposed to introduce yourself to a magpie. Yes, and you you say something like, "Good day, sir. How is your wife?" Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Because it's only bad. It's only bad luck to see one magpie. Yes. Not to see two. So if you imply that it it has a wife somewhere or a partner, then it's not bad luck. Then it's not a single bird. How is your lady wife? That's what she says. Ah. Hello, sir. How is your lady wife today? <laughs> yes. So proper. Yes. What is it is in England. But no from Good what day, I, what? From what I hear about magpies, magpies are kind of obnoxious birds. Mm-hmm. And they like to steal things. They steal oh. shiny things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And from what I know about England, only about one percent of the people talk like that. Everybody else is like, Oh, get out of here, you fucking bird. <laughs> oh bloody hell. <laughs> <laughs> you bloody motherfucker. You know, the working class. <laughs> <laughs> like everybody else. So according to Ovid, Narcissus was a hunter known for his beauty. Narcissus rejected all advances from both women and men. Eventually, he fell in love with a reflection in a pool of water. Not realizing its similarity, he became entranced by it. Over the years, artist renditions of the character added a mirror as a replacement for the reflective pool. But as we will see, this is a very simple one-to-one correspondence. This does remind me of a joke, though. How many narcissists does it take to screw in a light bulb? Just one, because the whole world revolves around him. (laughs) It's pretty good. But I was thinking, none, because they prefer gaslighting. Ooh! Shots fired. That's right. A narcissist doesn't believe they're a narcissist. So it doesn't matter. They don't know we're talking about them. Yeah, because if you question your narcissist, that's when you're not a narcissist. Mm-hmm. That's true. So everybody who listened to this who is a narcissist, they're like, oh, yeah, like my narcissist friend or my narcissist mom, this and that and the other person. But then if they go, but could I be the narcissist? then they're not a narcissist. Yep. So if you ever are afraid that you're a narcissist, know that you're not a narcissist. Because narcissists are not afraid that they're narcissists. Exactly. (laughs) How many times can we say narcissist? Narcissist. (laughs) (laughs) That's a cool brain hack. We're going to start sharing a brain hack. So across most mythology, the sun is portrayed as a divine masculine deity. But one of the key Japanese deities is the sun goddess, Amaratasu. And Chad told us all about her in episode 283. So I'm just going to add to that what the Elemental Encyclopedia of Signs and Symbols had to say when I read it out loud right now. (laughs) Quote, The sun is frequently portrayed as a male deity. But one of Japan's key deities is the sun goddess, Amaratasu, believed to be an ancestor of the imperial family that also reflects the glory of the sun. 
Amaratasu's main shrine is at a place called Eyes, although for many years her residence was in the palace of the emperor. Her removal was something of a political event, since Amaratasu's priestesses could question the authority of the emperor, an instance of a classic clash between church and state. The shrine at Eyes has been rebuilt several times, but always as an extra replica of what went before, a living example of ancient architecture. The shrine is home to flocks of roosters, the symbol of the sun, not only because they are among the first birds that greeted every morning at dawn, but because of their rainbow-colored coxcomb. The temple also contains the sacred... (laughs) The temple also contains the sacred mirror that belongs to Amaratasu. It is believed that the spirit of her enters in this octagonal mirror in order to communicate with mankind. Legend also states that this mirror was used to draw the goddess out of the cave where she was hiding, unquote. You just wanted to put coxcomb in a sentence, didn't you? Uh, no, that comes from a book. So they wanted to. <laughs> he just wanted to read it out loud. Yeah, I just want to read it out loud inside of a quote. <laughs> So I couldn't get in trouble for it. <laughs> yeah, that was said. The um, uh, that the Japanese mythology was really interesting compared yeah. to uh, the other mythologies well, we've was, covered. It was completely reversed, which was really cool. I mean, yeah, because yeah, every other religion, the god is the sun god, and the moon is the moon <laughs> goddess, mm-hmm. and or earth or, or earth goddess yeah. either way. And and theirs, it was reversed. It was the earth god. Mm-hmm. Right, and the, the moon god, moon god, and, and the, the sun, sun, sun goddess. Yeah, which mm-hmm. was really cool because usually most cultures pay more respect to the goddess or to the the sun deity, because the sun deity is who makes things live. Yeah, true. The pakua is a shaped form from the eight trigrams of the itching. These trigrams are often carved into wood and used to frame mirrors, known as pakua which is used as an effective tool belonging to the ancient practice of feng shui. You want to see some cool stuff with the ishing and so much more? Go check out Frauder Shadow Eater's website, Building the Philosopher's Stone, available on WordPress. A superstition concerning mirrors is mirrors with a solid backing placed in the same position from a long period of time are thought to be more likely to become spiritual portals. So that means like our bathroom mirror would be a spiritual portal. I would say like 90% of the people that live in the suburbs might have a spiritual portal in their bathroom. Nice. <laughs> That's where all the ghosts come from. Should I put a welcome mat in but the, the mirror? fortunate <laughs> for us, not all psychics and paranormal investigators believe that portals actually exist. But I'm still going to tell you about them. Well, I'm going to tell you this right now. I don't even put a welcome mat in my front door. There will never be a welcome mat on my front door. I don't want to invite vampires Exactly. The there are too many things out there that I don't know about. Mm-hmm. I ain't inviting them in. So, like, my doormat says, yay, you're here. <laughs> I don't have a doormat. <laughs> we, we do have another one that says, roll for initiative. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really want anybody coming over, so I'd be like, "Go away!" Yeah, yeah. I, I, go I away. See all these cute little welcome signs and stuff. No, no, I don't want any welcome signs in the front of my house. 
I see a lot being a mill man, and there's a lot of footy ones too. <laughs> like, I like there's, there's one ones. that's this isn't a trap door. Yeah, stand here. <laughs> uh, or the ones that's like, did Jeffrey Epstein kill himself? Yes or no? And put the package on either which which your answer is. <laughs> no. <laughs> I've seen ones that say like. If you're dropping off an Amazon package, please hide it from my husband. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the houses with the shopping problems. <laughs> that might be my house. And then your husband brings your package. The best one I ever saw, though. It I said, just have him shipped to the <laughs> Oh, he door. brings her the package, all right. <laughs> the best one I ever saw, it was kind of a play on another, like a bumper sticker, and it said, my other house is a piece of shit, too. <laughs> <laughs> This is a piece of shit. You should see. You should see my summer home. <laughs> All right. Sorry, Dave. I interrupted you. No, you're good. We're having fun. Mirrors are believed to possess a power beyond the natural, a reflection of the truth, and as such, they became a receptacle which is handy for many mystical and occultic practices and ideas. A portal is thought to be a hole or window in the energy fields that surround the spiritual realm and dimensions. Those that do not generally believe energy beings, such as spirits and elementals, can slip through the openings and into the physical plane. I would have to say I agree. I don't think that there are specific openings that allow them to slip through. I believe that they can just kind of slip through whenever and wherever they want. So you don't see them like black holes. Interesting. I think I think a spirit can be wherever it wants to be. Sure. It may be kind of like not to bring D and D back into this, but it could be something along those lines that has to be a place you've been within mm. your lifetime. But then again, is that the case, or is it they choose to usually go back to places that they were fond of? Like, do you have the option to go anywhere or are you locked into places that you've been? <coughs> Is it just in our dimension too? Yeah, see. I think that I, I think they can go back and forth because I think they're just energy. So they just go wherever there's energy. Yeah. Any kind of energy. Mm. So. so like time wouldn't be something that would hold them in place. No, no I don't think so at all. So very high levels of paranormal activity are claimed to be found near portals. Negative spirits may also come through portals because the astral layer closest to the physical plane is an area where negative energy and entities might reside. Yeah, he said titties. <laughs> <laughs> he said cock and titties in one episode. That's right. Can't come. Most portals are believed to be a two-way path where spirits can enter and leave the physical plane. Many believe that not only spiritual beings can use the portals, but also beings or aliens from other dimensions. That I believe. Some also include in their beliefs that physical beings can go through these portals, but only in their astral form. I also semi-believe that. But I think I might believe that because of Montauk. And I'm not sure if I believe things about Montauk, or if I don't believe things about Montauk. It's a confusing <laughs> situation in my brain, and I'm not sure how I actually feel about Montauk and <laughs> themes of Montauk. But I think I believe in that. <laughs> my brain may have been broken. 
Some people who are developing their spirituality claim that they can sense portals, and they can also close and open them up. So most psychics and paranormal investigators that do believe in portals also believe in vortices. And these are different, in that a vortex is simply a pure band of energy, neither negative nor positive, and is not a doorway. But a vortex can be used for spiritual work. I'm reminded of William Butler Yeats yes. and his concept of vertices, though he isn't the only magician to write of such things. It is also worth noting that even though mirrors and reflective waters are our main focus, portals can also exist in doorways, windows, cupboards, and so on. And, and you know, keep in mind, in the wilderness, doors, windows, cupboards and are also present. I mean, this doesn't have to be human-made to have an effect. So another superstition concerning mirrors is, in order to prevent mirrors being used as a portal by supernatural entities, yeah, he's a again. <laughs> the mirror should be frequently moved to different areas of the room. I just want to put a mirror in front of a mirror. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to go to this. Oh, shit, where am I? <laughs> but will the mirror know what's behind the mirror? Mirror, mirror. You ever been in the science museum where you get under that and you're looking at four different mirrors and you can look off into like infinite? Yes. Mm -hmm. That is so cool. I also like the maze of mirrors. Yeah. Although I have mastered the maze of mirrors. I love watching oh. people run into the mirrors. <laughs> <laughs> I'm usually the one that just walks hits my face. See, there's a trick. You look at the ground. As, yeah, you look at the ground because you can tell the difference between the mirror and the ground and the mirror and the ground ground. Oh. They're different colors. Well, you're just better at navigating the world than me, I guess. I guess so. <laughs> we also spent a lot of time at the Omniplex. We spent a lot. His dad would have all his Christmas parties there, and we had full reign of the downstairs, downstairs area in the main building, which consisted of the tooth thing, mm -hmm. the earthquake thing, and the mirror thing. So we did a lot of the mirror thing, and playing games, running in and out, chasing each other. Yes. Well, I guess and it was hilarious when there'd be kids who hadn't been there before. Because <laughs> we'd be playing tag, and you'd go run into the mirror room and just watch them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess over time, you just know where the mirrors are from all the smudges and the, the blood stains. And the <laughs> Man, I'm cleaning remember, these mirrors. I remember playing once, and yeah, I would purposely hide to where you could see me on like five different mirrors and watch this kid run in trying to tag me and just run face first into the mirror like well, three there, times. There's like, one ah, little, fucker. If I remember correctly, there's one little outlet cove thing mm -hmm. in there. It's like a dead end. Yeah, it's a dead end that you can get into. But th Then it shows you your, the reflection yeah. through every mirror in, in the entire maze. thing. Because <laughs> it's a reflection of your reflection of your reflection of your reflection of your reflection. Oh, <laughs> welcome to hell! <laughs> we spent a lot of time at the Omniplex. Yeah. Enough to explain it very vividly. <laughs> the image of the mermaid often contains her gazing into a hand mirror. In this instance, the archetype could be thought of as a symbol of vanity. Mermaids in literature mostly fall in love with humans. But there is the pesky problem that humans cannot live or breathe underwater. Yet. Hans Christian Andersen's The Little Mermaid features a little mermaid that is prepared to go to great lengths for her object of infatuation. 
exchanging her tail for human legs despite every step she takes causing her excruciating pain. Every step she takes. <laughs> every move she makes. You know, now that I'm 40, I can, I'm beginning to relate to this. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> she also gives her her beautiful voice, rendering her useless in explaining her situation or being able to sing anymore. The overall theme is love, but not necessarily desire. Drive her to exchange her mere folk qualities for the soul of a human. In doing so, she leaves behind the animal part of herself in order to join the world of humanity. You know, regardless if you... if. Regardless if mermaids are part of the natural world or not, they have still infused themselves into our inner world. According to Carl Jung's work on archetypes, mermaids fit primarily into the anima, meaning soul with female form and the feminine aspect of the male psyche. When a man projects the feminine aspect within his psyche onto an actual woman, that woman takes on significant importance. This archetype manifests by infatuation, idealization, or fascination. The woman herself does not justify these reactions, but merely functions as the target to which the anima is transferred. The anima is at work in every instance of extreme love or fantasy or entanglement. The anima wants intensity of experience. Like all archetypes, this may come upon us like fate meaning it can be something extraordinary or something terrible. Either way, the aim for the anima is to wake us up. To recognize the anima means throwing away our rational of ideas of how life should be lived and instead admit, as Jung puts it, Life is crazy and meaningful at once. All right, so that was probably hard to listen to because Carl Jung's worldview was based in a stereotypical masculine and feminine form. Meaning the anima was a man's inner feminine aspects, while the animus was a woman's inner masculine aspects. Um, but that's just, you know just how society was when it was written. But in our modern day, it can be of value if the anima and animus concept are viewed more like the traits we do not consciously identify with ourselves, rather than that what we were assigned at birth as opposed to making a strictly masculine or strictly feminine stance. Since we have a society have moved closer towards individuality rather than society's demands in regards to a polarity of gender, men can be intuitive, compassionate, or empathetic on a conscious level, and women can be rational, assertive, or apathetic on a conscious level. The anima or animus would be viewed as our opposite conscious counterpart, the yin and yang symbol fits in very well here, but only if yin or yang is not identified with a particular gender, as there is a bit of both in each that can be accessed. Fairy tales and myths were not only written as a way of explaining phenomena do, 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 do. of the natural world, they can also be utilized to make sense of our inner world. Mermaids are a composite creature, half human and half fish half in the world of the everyday, and half in the depth of the sea. If we take the sea as a symbol of the inner world of our psyche, or our unconscious, and the opposite our conscious reality, the mermaid belongs to both, and is a bridge linking the two into one. 
the inner world of the spirit or psyche, and the outer world of the ego. In folktales, mermaids give out blessings, help, or good fortune, but can also be deadly if taken literally in the form of projecting romantically. We see the symbol of mermaids carved into the front of old ships, as if leading the way through the inner world of the soul or spirit, the sea, associated with flashes of insight and revelation that provide a way on the journey to the intuitive imagination. Like all archetypes, the mermaid has both sides, the positive and the negative. This metaphor spills out over one's self or mind, and through projections becomes an object of emotional and irrational pursuits, as well as entanglements, the drowning, and death. However, if the symbol is understood within the context of the psyche, it can be the source of a gift of insight and knowledge, where the story is no longer entangled in pictures and feelings, but rationally and objectively understood for what it is. I wanted to grow up to be a mermaid. Yeah. I really, really, really wanted to be a mermaid. We're grown. We should just be mermaids. Yeah. Just to be able to breathe underwater and live underwater. You can be whatever you want to be. You actually can get a job as a mermaid now. It's actually a very common job. Mm -hmm. I mean, I do have a tail. I can swim like a mermaid. It's very difficult. (sighs) Isn't it like doing parties like with uh, Disney and stuff, being a princess? You can be a mermaid, do Mm -hmm. parties. Yeah. Some aquariums have hire women to be mermaids and they just have to go up and get in the oxygen hose that hangs down, take a breath and swim back down. Yeah. That was my favorite thing in the medieval fair was the mermaids. And then they moved it. Yeah. I'd say as a boy it was mine too. (laughs) So the imagination is so much more powerful than most people want to admit. By most people's worldview, to call something imaginary is to say that it is unreal. Imagination is a very potent reality, and one that ritual magic practitioners employ in their rituals and practices. Imagine. Sorry, is that supposed to be written as practitioners? No, <laughs> no but he left it in because yeah. it was great. <laughs> yeah, this is the part of the episode where I wrote that, and I was like, I'm just going to leave that because it says magic practitioners. <laughs> I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to start using that from now on. And he has. He has yeah. referred to them as magic practitioners. And I'm like, I love it. I just thought it was hilarious. <laughs> I was like, um. No, that was a typo that just ended up being like perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so imagination is the mind's way of experiencing and projecting images into patterns in the life force. When something is imagined, it takes shape. And the more powerfully it is imagined, the stronger the pattern becomes in the life force. Egregore. But this isn't a one-way street. And when unexpected thoughts or feelings drift into the mind, most of the time it was something you picked up from another mind. This helps explain to me psychic phenomena. But also think back to when we were all kids. Did someone have to show us how to wish on dandelions? Or did we just intuitively know how to do it? And did anyone have to teach us how to use our imaginations? Or did we just intuitively know how to do that as well? I had an imaginary friend. You did. And 
That was before I knew what an imaginary friend was. But then again, I don't think my imaginary friend was an actual imaginary friend. I think my imaginary friend was a ghost. A ghost. Yeah. Uh, so I don't remember having imaginary friends. You didn't. But I've also I never really had a super strong imagination really as a kid either. I think it's gotten stronger as an adult than I was as a kid. But speaking of imagination friends, imagination friends, <laughs> imaginary <laughs> friends. There's, there's a movie coming out called If. Yes. Oh. Ri- written by John Krasinski so and Ryan it. Reynolds it looks and so good. Stephen Carell. It looks hilarious. I saw the the ad for it at the Super Bowl and I was like, oh, I must see this movie. Mm-hmm. I think I will at least take Dean to go see it. If the I best commercial for it. I know it's off topic, but so in the, the office, Randall Park, the Asian dude, doesn't he pretends to be John Krasinski's character, Jim. Oh yeah. Well, they okay, did a yeah. trailer where it's Ron Reynolds talking, and he's like, "I'm going to bring in my friend John Krasinski. He wrote it." And it's Randall Park who comes in. He sits down, <laughs> and he's like, "You're not Jim Krasinski." He's like, "Yeah, I am." He's like, "He's much taller and not Asian." And he's like, "Ryan, we spent the last four months together, like ten hour days." <laughs> <laughs> great callback i love that show but yeah going back to the episode the imagination making things real and stuff just you know the egregores and stuff we've talked about mm-hmm. oh yeah like mm-hmm. bigfoot how it could actually just be an egregore that has so many people believing in it that people are actually seeing it we're actually creating a yeah. real a real animal or a real creature yeah, yeah I, I like mean, that idea for cryptids as an explanation i think that makes a too. lot more sense than I think it makes a really good explanation for cryptids. I think it makes now with the whole rise of the creepy pasta. I really think that it's starting to do that with things like Slenderman and Siren Head. It's mm. actually starting to create a quasi egregore that is starting to actually manifest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to see if in the next few years if there aren't more you know, rake sightings or Slenderman sightings. And I wonder if that's what we see too, as our children start to lose their imaginations. If adults start to imagine things more because they don't know how to use their imaginations. So then you start seeing things and you don't realize it's your imagination. Imagination. Yeah. Yeah. That would make sense. Your imagination still like our imagination as kids. It's still here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We just don't know how to tap into it. Like we did as a kid. Because we've been told you've got to grow up, you got to forget about that, you got to start acting yeah. more adult. You've got to, and I think we just kind of put our imagination in the back of our heads. And that's why I think like artists, like writers and stuff, they just found a way to tap back into that mm-hmm. imagination to come up with those ideas and stuff. Well, and it makes sense because also as a kid, you you it's hard to tell the difference between your imagination and reality. Mm-hmm. And as you get older, you start to be able to say, well, this is reality and this is the imagination. And then you look into like mental illness to where somebody who's suffering from some kind of mental illness can't differentiate between reality and imagination anymore. Kind of those and it's kind of like they've resorted back to that child stage mm, where they can't yeah. tell the difference. And I wonder if, like, when they're seeing these things, it's like seeing an invisible friend. It's an imaginary thing mm-hmm. that's happening in your head, but it's like a dream. You can't tell if it's reality. And maybe yeah. it's just playing with 
And then the question goes, is it actually imaginary or is it that they're tapping back into a part of the brain that we learned to shut off as a child? Because we're supposed to be able to know the difference between real and imaginary. And it's like, well, that doesn't make sense. So that can't be real. But really, it is real. And we've just blocked it out because it's, done, it's weird. <laughs> true. So true. The collective imagination and collective consciousness are intermingled. And currently, I would say we as humanity are a very low ebb. Where media and influencers lure the end weary with an image of humanity as a single part in the machinery of consumption. The movement of patterns in the life force also give rise and fall to fads, fashions, and on more controversial levels, the behavior of crowds, particularly those led by propaganda, misinformation, and groupthink. Looking at our characters of myth, which also has an underlying illusion that it is unreal, Great figures can be invoked and inspire us to a path that embraces the challenge of becoming a full and magnificent individual. The mirror principle is a belief that reality itself is a mirror reflecting back at you the world not as it is, but the world as you are. The way we perceive and experience the external environment is greatly influenced by our thoughts beliefs, and emotions. If someone doesn't come to realize how much control they have over their own reality, over what they are seeing, they may start thinking that they are at the mercy of someone else's story, like a character in a story that is not them. We sometimes forget that we are in charge. Marcus Aurelius wrote, You have power over your mind, not outside events. Realize this, and you will find strength. Everyone dreams of changing the world, but very few put in the effort to change themselves, even though that is where our individual power lies. The kind of world we see is relative to the structure of the sense organs and is described only in relation to a perceiving organism. The qualities of nature that involve color, light, noise, darkness, texture, and so on. There's an old question. If a tree falls in the forest and no one is around to hear it, does it make a noise? I've thought long and hard about this. And if noise is just a vibration, those vibrations still happen whether or not they meet somebody's eardrums to produce a sound. Yeah, yeah. You know, if that if that eardrum isn't isn't present, it doesn't stop the vibration or sound waves from reverberating the air. But the noise itself is a relationship between the vibrations or waves going through the air and a device capable of reacting to that vibration. I literally had not read this part. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. And, Dave. and when that's missing, a portion of the relationship is missing. Therefore, when the two are involved, the two are secretly one. When two become one. That's a, that's a Spice <laughs> Girl song. Do you remember that? No? I don't. Must have been one of the deep tracks. There's a music video for it. Deep. Oh. <laughs> deep. 
You can change the reflection in the mirror by changing your relationship with yourself, by changing how you treat and view yourself, which not only alters your actions, but also how the world views you. We were having this conversation earlier today. <laughs> That's very interesting. About how you like should say positive things to yourself in the mirror. and So I need to start looking in the mirror and be like, you're a badass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I tell myself every day. She was like, do you look at yourself and say negative things? And I'm like, well, I don't really talk to the mirror. She's like, you should. <laughs> I used to leave notes for myself on my mirror. Back when I was growing up, I kept a pen and I would write notes. My, I would write notes on my mirror. My friends would write notes on my mirror all the time. Yeah. We also had our we hate list on our, my mirror, too. <laughs> I heard it was something really good for your brain to read it out loud and to talk to yourself in the mirror. To like tell yourself, like, you've got this. You're going to have a great day. Yeah. You're important. It's in to almost you. all the self help books that I've ever well, started since to read. I have the problem that I cry when I'm mad. Mm-hmm. I often will tell myself to suck it up, quit being a little bitch, and get this done instead of when I'm crying. I do that a lot. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I do that. It's kind of the same thing. It's just <laughs> it's not very positive, but at the same time, it works. <laughs> I can tell myself to quit, quit whining. That's one of those synchronicities that, yeah. like, that we had just had this conversation. <laughs> like, you could literally four say hours it. before the podcast. You could say it later, though. You get to be a bitch later. You got to get through this. Yeah. Stop acting like that. Yeah. Make it a positive, like. Well, and you know, and as a girl, especially. When you're growing up, it's not uncommon for you and your friends to sit and look in the mirror and like, oh, I hate this about myself and I hate that about myself. Guys do it too. I, I, I As a girl, I knew we did it. Yeah. I don't know about guys. But, you know, we'd point out our flaws to our friends in the mirror. Mm-hmm. Like, it was just, and yeah, we'd all have low self-esteem. It's not uncommon to have, for especially for teenagers to have low self-esteem. And I bet you that has a hell of a lot to do with it. Yeah, because mm-hmm. what you see in the mirror really does matter. And when you're pointing it yeah. out and you're picking on it, then later that's all you see, just yeah. like anybody else who picks on you. And because that's what you're self-conscious about, it's what other people will see. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, because when we look at someone else, we notice how they view themselves almost immediately. Yeah. We notice whether they are confident. Oh, shit. <laughs> operate with conviction and self-belief and so much more. We notice those patterns in life force that are emanating from them. I did not read the head either. (laughs) Twice now. Imagination is that subtle body through which the mind can sense and shape the life force. These patterns set up in the life force ripple outwards. Duality is unity in disguise. You can't have up without down, hot without cold, dark without light, the outer world without the inner world, or something without nothing. Everything is vibrating between matter and frequencies, and in frequencies there are peaks and troughs. One cannot exist without the other. There are no monopoles in nature. Now, I have a not-so-deep story about a mirror and an imagination. When I was a kid, those handheld mirror, like, I don't know, they had them in all the beauty salons that I ever went into, but they were like big old mirrors that had a handle on them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We had like five of them around the house. And I would take one and I would hold it like a book, but like facing up towards the ceiling, look down in it and pretend that the ceiling was the floor. 
Yeah. So as I walked through the house, if I went through a doorway, I'd step over the archway. And like I would pretend like the ceiling was the floor. And we had like this window thing that was basically the windows were a alcove type thing. But there would be if it was upside down, there'd be a little bench there. So I would always sit there and I'd walk up to that and I'd pretend like I was walking on a stage because I was walking on this step that didn't really exist that was for where the windows were. And that's I would walk around the house for hours pretending mm. like the ceiling was the, the floor because yeah. I grew up in the 90s and we didn't have cable. <laughs> <laughs> And no it, cell phones. And and I guess to bring it to more of a scientific level, the placebo effect does exist. And it doesn't get enough credit for how fucking magical it really is. Well, and I used to dream that that's what I wanted, is I wanted to have a house that had a ceiling for a floor. Now, as an adult, I think of how freaking annoying it would be is every time I wanted to walk into another room, I had to step over a ledge. But as a kid, I just thought it would be so cool. Yeah, as an adult, I couldn't do it. I tripped over our doggy gate the other day. So <laughs> <laughs> we've talked about how short my legs are, and my I can't step over like baby gates. That's why I got the baby gate that had the handle on it that swing op- would swing open. Yeah, because yeah. there was no me stepping over it. Yeah, that's when I realized I need to invest in it. Because yeah, I just tumbled and had three people staring at me and watching me go, and there's nothing I could do to stop. Myself. Oh, you don't understand how pissed off I was when they got rid of dropside cribs before our son was born, <laughs> because that's the only way I could get into the crib with our daughter was I had a dropside crib. I'm too short. For them, I had to go to the the furniture stores and just lean over cribs to find one that I could lean over and not fall into, trying to get a baby. Out. <laughs> yeah, it's no good if you fall in there with them. <laughs> then y'all are both stuck. <laughs> and the salesman, you could put a step stool there, and I'm like, yes, because last thing that's, that's what I want to do is climb up on a step stool every time I try to put my child to sleep or get my child out of bed. And then hope that thing don't come out from under <laughs> you or break or something. But yes, that's what I would do is I would walk around with the mirror and pretend like the ceiling was, in fact, the floor. What a great imagination. Yeah. It was so fun. I miss doing things like that. You know, as a kid, I would do all kinds of imagination things because I was also an only child for six years Yeah, that lived in the country with no cable. So it was either outside playing or working in with mom or dad or... Inside with an imagination. Yeah. So I was also well, six before I got my first Nintendo. <laughs> that that key to unlock that door is still within you. Yeah. I just need to give you a mirror. I do. Yeah. Walk around. I trip over shit all the time. That's part of the fun, right? That's it. My <laughs> issue is now maybe, I trip over things on the real floor. Maybe because that's I'm looking it. at the mirror. Maybe that's why I trip over my own feet all the time. It's because I have subconsciously created an egregore where the floor is the ceiling. And so there's a threshold there that I'm not stepping over. <laughs> <laughs> I think you solved it. Uh, in Jungian psychology, Carl Jung coined the term individuation. For the process of combining the unconscious with the conscious. Additionally, Jung used visualization techniques to conduct his own personal individuation. Some have and still do use terms like shamanic journeying 
to describe a concept Jung called active imagination, which we will get to later. The purpose of the individuation process is to increase an individual's consciousness. With greater consciousness, individuals can connect the splits in their mind between the conscious and unconscious, bringing them to wholeness in their psyche. The first half of life is mainly external, as we make our way through the world doing our best to develop a healthy ego as we seek to meet our basic needs. In Jung's outlook, the second part of life can bring a turning inward toward a deeper part of ourselves. This inward turn starts the individuation process. Now in like occultic and mystery schools, they call this the esoteric. Might also be like the shadow, shadow self. Oh yeah, yeah, that's part of it. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, <laughs> Maybe I should. First, <laughs> I need to tell y'all that Young observed that some people favor using thoughts to make judgment, while others followed their feelings. Some individuals experience the world through their senses, while others intuit intentions, potentials, and hidden relationships. Thinking types approach life with little regard for their emotions. They arrange things with logic and order. They have firm codes of what's right and wrong. Feeling types understand what something is worth. Compared to thinkers' clear categories of thought, feelers embrace disorder. They appreciate the infinite gradations of value and meaning. Intuiting types are more interested in future possibilities than in things as they are. Intuitive sees similarities where most people see differences. Sensing types most accurately interpret information through their five senses. They are the ultimate realist, accepting the world as it is. We like to do things we're good at and avoid doing things that make us feel inadequate. And so we develop specific skills while underdeveloped talents remain in the unconscious. Young group these four functions into pairs. Thinking and feeling, sensing and intuiting. Of the four functions, Jung found that each person has one pair of dominant or superior functions. The opposite function is the person's inferior function. This inferior function remains mostly unconscious to the individual. For example, for people who rely on thinking to interpret information, feelings are the inferior function. For people who trust their senses, intuition is their inferior function. Remember that the goal of the individuation process is to integrate the conscious with the unconscious. Our superior function is conscious. We know our strengths. Our inferior function is unconscious. Because in the course of our development, we've avoided it. And so the key to individuation, according to Jung, lies in developing our inferior functions. <coughs> this ties in well with the four material elements traditionally. Air in the east and yellow corresponding to thinking, fire in the south and red corresponding to feeling, water in the west and blue corresponding to intuiting, and earth in the north and green corresponding to sensing. I would say I need to work on my sensing because I feel like I've got feeling, intuiting, and thinking down. I had to work on my intuiting big time. I, think I second guess my uh, intuition too much. I've gotten to where I don't as much, 
because I started to realize how right it was. Yeah, I started. <laughs> I, just, I, I definitely, <laughs> I definitely go off of feeling more. I'm not good at the sensing part. I, I I can't say that I use like. I feel like feeling and sensing are probably my two. Uh, <laughs> Inferior. I had to shut down some of the feelings because I had to take over roles where feelings were not accepted. So mm. I would say I used to be fe- all feeling, and then I had to work in the thinking, and then the thinking got me to realize that the intuition was li- right a lot of the time. So now it's just the sensing I got to work on. <laughs> So Jung also introduced the concepts of archetypes. In Jungian psychology, the shadow is the unconscious aspect of the personality that the conscious ego does not identify in itself. This shadow archetype represents the personal traits we have ignored, denied, or cut off from ourselves. Make no mistake here, this is not just our darkness or our undesirable traits. These are the traits we have not developed in ourselves for various valid reasons. Some have helpful or neutral traits in their shadow, like adaptability, compatibility, determination, compassion, patience, stability, moderation, creativity, self-control, and so on. I already spoke about the anima in animus earlier. That was one of his concepts, so we can just move on to the self. The self is the archetype of wholeness and self-transcendence, a wise old man, woman, or non-gender binary entity or present, often represents this universal image. This archetype is also personified in other traditions as the holy guardian angel, our future magical self, the personal diamond, Alwyn, and so on. Many other archetypes exist and all can be interacted with. There are thousands of them, and they all have something to teach us. The child, the inner critic, the hero, the jester, the hermit, to name a few. Characters from myths, legends, and stories, if you think about it, can reveal to us something about ourselves. This is the kind of knowledge and power one can obtain from journeying within liminal space, between the powerful current currents that set the action of the world into motion. In Jung's paper, The Transcendent Function, the theme was the method he later came to call active imagination. He defined two parts, letting the unconscious come up and coming to terms with the unconscious through the starting points he describes, mainly moods, images, bodily sensations, and some of its many expressive forms such as painting, sculpting, drawing, writing, dancing, weaving, dramatic reenactments, inner visions, inner dialogues, or other artistic expressions. These activities are the ones where we may find ourselves losing track of time, being in a state of consciousness sometimes referred to as a flow state, or being in the zone my favorite places to be (laughs) when I'm doing my crafting and I get into that flow or that zone and then just like the rest of the world disappears for a little Mm -hmm. while yeah so amazing and that's (laughs) and that's where you're spending time with your self archetype 
spending quality time with your personal diamond, your all one, whatever you, however you view it. Your inner Amy. That's <laughs> where my inner Amy gets to forget about the feud going on between future and past Amy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> in that liminal space in the present. <laughs> because let me tell you, future Amy hates past Amy. And past Amy knows it, and she just makes life miserable <laughs> for future Amy. <laughs> but in the flow, Amy is silent and not <laughs> hating anyone. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Self-transcendent. <laughs> so in this essay, Jung links his method to work with dreams and the therapeutic relationship. The term transcendent function encompasses both the method and its dynamic function that unites opposite positions in the psyche. Jung linked active imagination with the processes of alchemy. The task each of us have of the unconscious is to think independently and clearly. We must listen carefully to hear the truth that is hidden behind the cries and urgings of inner voices. Refine that truth to something more humane, more bearable, more balanced, to be integrated into our ordinary life without destroying it. And towards this individual truth, we must all find our own individual ethical stance and respect the ethical stances of others. Never forget, you are in charge of your own life, your own actions, your own thoughts, and your own feelings. Let's look at the concept of the celestial mirror. Gold corresponds typically to the sun and silver to the moon. Silver makes a connection to moon gods and goddesses. The superstition that one should turn a silver coin around in their pocket when they notice a new moon is a throwback to this ancient connection. The moon being the celestial mirror reflecting the illumination of the light of the sun. A mirror is a sheet of glass with fine silver applied to one side. Silver vessels were used for scrying water. Water itself is linked with silver in the moon. I'll dive deeper into that in a bit. But first, let's ponder. Is this maybe part of the reason horror monsters like vampires have no reflection? Or maybe how silver has gained a reputation for repelling, binding, or destroying these abominations. Silver began being used as a precious metal in the minting of coins since at least 700 BCE. Along with the moon, silver is associated with psychic powers and intuition. Clairvoyance of old traditionally requested the client to cross my palm with silver, which functioned as a payment, but also to help psychic powers flow. Because things rarely mean, signify, or symbolize one thing, but a whole cosmos of things, such as the principle of correspondence. The relationship of the planets, the myths, the psyche, and everything else seen or unseen are not all separate and discrete entities, but part of a larger holistic web of unified meaning. Early in humanity, it was believed that the body was a microcosm of the universe, made in the shape reflective of great forces and powers. We can see this in almost all creation myths. The zodiac was developed as a series of constellations, all with their own meanings, symbolism, mythology, 
and was treated as a celestial mirror, which reflected important events for the lives of us here on our earth. Over time, these very these over time, these very aspects made by the seven planetary spheres against the background of the eighth sphere, the fixed stars, was decoded. As astrologers and priests attempted to use it as a tool for initiation, divination, and timings for important events. The celestial mirror known as the Great Wheel, or Rashi Chakra, in the Hindu belief systems, has been interpreted in many different ways. The Egyptians viewed it as the heavenly representation of their most holy river, the Nile. The Greeks, the Twelve Olympians, or the Twelve Labors of Hercules. To the Zoroastrians, the Zodiac was the Twelve Chiefs of the Sun God, Ahura Mazda. The Akkadians attribute it to the furrow of the great bull god El, plowing his way steadfastly through the year will. The movements of the moon dictate many aspects that are crucial to life here on earth, the rising and falling of tides, and more deeply, the connection between all the elements. Mammalian life gestates in the watery environment of the womb, making yet another connection between water and the moon gods and goddesses in their ever-changing forms. The moon, whose visible shape is like water and is defined by a relationship with something else, in the moon's case, the light and position of the sun. Religious ceremonies such as baptism symbolize rebirth and regeneration, underlining the concept that water gave birth to all life. A vital aspect of water is its ability to reflect. Many indigenous North American people call a still pool of water a quote-unquote sky mirror. Water itself gave people the first means of seeing themselves as others saw them and reinforces the reflective qualities and links to the moon. Water, like everything else, is affected by gravity. It flows downwards seeking to unite back to the sea. It is no wonder how rivers gain the symbolism of the aspects of time, carrying with it the spirits of the mighty mountains, where it springs and provides an essential resource to all life around it, provided, of course, it's not over-polluted. And considering most of the world's major cities have developed along river courses, this is very concerning. But it doesn't take away from what we find time and time again. Both the city and the river are held to be sacred in some way. Deep water holds symbolism, particularly of the unknown and the bizarre. Into the unknown. Into the unknown. Despite all of our attempts at exploration, there are still life forms that remain undetected. If memory serves, marine biologists identify on average around 600 new species per year. There has even been life forms discovered in surprising places, like deep hot water vents, whose poison environment actually supports all sorts of animals and plant life. These deep waters of seas, oceans, and lakes symbolize unknown realms. Fairy tales and myths the world over use these as settings where otherworldly spirits dwell. I know in the future we are going to do an episode on unidentified submerged objects, and we are always going on about the Fae. 
foggy, misty places between the world of the living and the world of the dead, our liminal environments and the places where spirits dwell, such as the Elysian fields, where in Greek myth the souls of dead heroes repose. Homer describes the asphodel, willows, and poplars growing here, and they are all water-loving plants. If I have learned anything in this podcast, that if there is a foggy, misty place, don't go, don't go into it. <laughs> Especially if it's, it's yellow. Because who knows what time you're going to come out on. <laughs> in Mesopotamian literature, the moon god Nana, Suin, Sin, was referred to as the quote-unquote astral holy bull calf who shines in the heavens and spreads bright light in the night. I thought those L's were T's for a second. Oh, did you? Apparently there's a scratch. <laughs> my the eyes. holy butt calf. Yeah. That's funny. The horns of the moon god Crescent carry the bovine metaphor, with the white brightness recalling milk. Because of his horns, the moon god is Bel Carney, Lord of the Horns. Another name of the Nana, Suin, Sin, Alabaster, suggests the lustrous white appearance of the moon crescent. Yet another name of the moon god was Shining Bowl, a loanword from Akkadian Telemtu, which was considered to be an attribute of the moon god. Moreover, the Telemtu bowl was shaped like a boat, another metaphor for the moon god. Among the surviving finds, which may be connected with Tilim II, Shining Bowl, are the gold and silver bowls that were found in the tomb of Queen Puabai. Moonlike and boat-like, with bull's head engraved on the side. So some more beliefs that come from superstition are, While sleeping, it was thought best to cover your mirror as you could be vulnerable to attack from negative spirits, elementals, or demons during the night. Mirrors had to be covered or turned to face the wall when a person was dead in a room. Failure to do so would result in the deceased person's soul being lost. We talked about that one a little bit when we did our Valeska Axe House murder, because mm-hmm. all the mirrors they covered were all covered. the mirrors, yeah. Yeah. That was a wild episode. Mirrors were removed from a room where an ill or dying person was because they were thought to be more vulnerable to the negative power of a mirror. I kind of get that one. You just don't want them to see... See themselves? See themselves and the way they look. How sick sick they are. Especially after being with somebody who was dying, actively Mm -hmm. dying. It's probably terrifying if they saw themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was advised never to place your bed in a location where it is reflected in a mirror. Aw, so no mirrored ceilings or... <laughs> like, that was the big thing in the 70s was, like, the walls of mirrors in the bedroom. Right. Mm-hmm. I know we stayed in a hotel one time in Junction City. I know. I used to want to sleep, on, like, because Dad had the mirror on your, over his fa- or behind his fan ceiling fan in the trailer. Mm-hmm. I used to always want to sleep underneath it for some reason. Well, we had we had stayed in this. <laughs> basically, we hadn't made rot- our hotel reservations, and we stayed in this 1970s hotel with red shag carpeting and a wall of mirrors. And I was very scared to sleep 
on the bed. Do you remember that? So like the only place we could find was like some sleazy motel. I think it was on the highway between Junction City and Manhattan. So should it be considered bad luck to break a mirror or not? Well, you know, that kind of came from the whole fact that the mirrors had the silver backings. And it would be considered bad luck because mirrors were super expensive. Yeah. And you got to think back in like the Renaissance, a lot of those people had only ever seen themselves in like a pool reflection. Yeah. So mirrors were uncommon. Yeah. And- Rare, so, so if a mirror would cost such a fortune to buy, it would be really bad luck. It'd probably cost you another seven years worth of pay to be able to afford another mirror. So I can see how that would have been considered bad luck. I don't know. I've broken many a mirrors. No. And I can't say my luck has been any worse. I mean, your luck was bad enough to yeah. break a mirror to begin with. <laughs> I mean... I, I think it comes down to luck is what you make it. There have been times that I feel like I've been very lucky. You mm-hmm. know, even when bad things are happening, I feel lucky. Yeah. I think luck is just all your outlook on yeah. something. Well, it's kind of like, what, the tornado that hit last February. As we're in the storm shelter, we hear it going over our house. But at that moment in time, I felt so lucky to have a storm shelter. And then we came out, and the tornado jumped over our neighborhood. I mean, it hit yeah. three blocks or four blocks to the south and mm-hmm. a block to the north, but completely missed us. This is I was feeling lucky again. You know, like it yeah. just, you know, even during bad times, you can feel lucky. Or when we had the flood hit our house. It wasn't a flood that hit our house. It's when we had the pipe bust and our house was flooded. It sucked at the time, but in the end, we were lucky. We had homeowners insurance who covered all of it. Yeah. So, luck is what you make it. I think home and wearing Maggie. Yeah, you like seeing homos naked. I <laughs> don't. I, that's cool. I guess it kind of goes back to that whole, you know, saying po- positive affirmations to yourself in the mirror. Yeah. You know, life is what you make it. Instead of saying "woe is me," you yeah. know, oh, I'm lucky it didn't get me. Or yeah, when you break that mirror, you're like, ah, I didn't cut my finger off. And if you did cut your finger off, hey, they can reattach them now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I didn't kill myself. Yeah, hey, I have three more. <laughs> Only three. <laughs> I'm talking about fingers, not thumbs. <laughs> <laughs> she is an alien. Ha! <laughs> ah, did did you a- were you able to conjure up your Pleiadian? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just looking for my thruple with the alien. <laughs> Was that your free pass? Hey, just join in. <laughs> Anytime they want. <laughs> Dave will be attractive to him too because all the Palladians are supposed to be sexy and attractive to both sexes. So, yeah. you know, we'll just get us a big strong Nordic man. <laughs> or a woman. You all know. True. You'll be attracted to them too. <laughs> I just want my Nordic. <laughs> Sounds good. You down for it, Dave? Sure. Okay. We need to get a bigger bed. Yeah. Because I heard they're like eight feet tall or more. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I just don't think three people are going to fit very comfortably out of my queen, our queen size bed. Yeah. We found out that <laughs> just me, her, and our little dog don't fit in the bed well. You have a little dog? Well, <laughs> little compared to the puppy, who's ginormous. 
<laughs> the puppy's bigger than the little dog. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I said it's a little dog compared to the puppy. What do y'all yeah. think? Mirror's bad luck or breaking a mirror bad luck? I get the idea behind it, but I I never thought of. I honestly never really believed in bad luck to begin with. So. I don't think it's a good idea to break a mirror. It just mm. it feels sacred or something because you're kind of like breaking apart shattering the image yeah yeah Yeah. i get that dave what what's your thought oh i've been talking about my thoughts for a while now (laughs) now one that wasn't on here that i always found was an interesting mirror superstition was that you hang a mirror on your front porch so the devil gets distracted by his image. It doesn't, it come, in. doesn't come in. That was one that Chad did mm-hmm. back when we did our superstitions episodes. That's really fascinating. Because if you take the idea that the definition of sin is the thing that moves you away from the divine in whatever way you believe the divine is, that the mere somehow repels the entity that causes you to want to do the things that move away from the divine, from getting in touch with your destiny, with your holy guardian angel, with your God, with your Alwyn. That's really fascinating to me. I just thought it was an interesting one. It's one I had never heard of because I don't know anyone who has a mirror on their front porch or their front door. Now, there's a ton of different ways to distract the devil on your front porch. Like That's like, number one, if there is a superstition out there, it involves something on your front porch (laughs) to distract the devil. Because apparently he is very easily distracted. (laughs) He he has ADHD. (laughs) ADHD. Or ADHD. No. ADHST. Attention deficit. Try anything. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, because there's a ton of them. I remember from when we did our superstitions mm-hmm. episode before, ton of them about the devil just getting distracted. Yeah, the so. southern devil is a very interesting archetype. You know, with his fiddle contests and his <laughs> devil uh, went down to Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> it's really so funny to look, think about it that way. Is the devil we have and that we grew up with knowing and hearing and all these things are about it's completely different than the devil you would see here in like the a church in Spain. Yeah. Because yeah. Uh, yeah, we really have a redneck podunk <laughs> Satan <laughs> in Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah. Well you <laughs> gotta think the, South, yeah. the jack-o'-lantern was created to scare the devil away, wasn't it? I don't know. I can't remember. Something I know that it was with turnips. Yeah, well, the jack o' lantern was originally turnips because pumpkins were only in North America. Yeah, yeah, there was something about jack o' lantern scaring the devil or something. I don't remember. It's been a <laughs> long time since it was 2018 now, when we did that episode. Yeah, there's a Irish tale of a person who was like too ornery for hell and not good mm-hmm. enough for heaven, so he was. I think his name was Jack, and he was destined to just roam around that the was material it. world. Yes. And he had a turnip for a head or something like that. He carried a turnip jack-o'-lantern thing as, like, 
a yeah. light source. Yes, that was what it was. That's another thing with the devil. He's also a really smart, but really stupid at the same time. <laughs> he can easily trick you, but he's easily your tricked. Because how many stories are there of this person was going to sell their soul to the devil, but he outsmarted him? He's like, devil gets yeah. outsmarted a lot. He's a good strategist. Yeah. But he's not good at doing. <laughs> he should be the coach. Yeah. He's the offensive coordinator. Well, somebody else should probably lead the show. <laughs> I, I think our southern devil and Bowser have a lot in common. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Was it peaches? Peaches, peaches, peaches. Peaches, peaches, peaches. Peaches, peaches. I love you. <laughs> Jack Black is the best Bowser. Um, no, I. as you were reading this and we were going through this, I started thinking about all the other superstitions. And there are some superstitions that are going to be coming up in this series that I am super psyched to get to. Yeah, you said next was magpies. We got to do magpies next. Magpie. Yeah, where else are we going? I am so ready to do New Year's traditions and see. I oh. have found out more about the cabbage in the wallet. I didn't do it this year. Mom brought me the cabbage. I didn't. Do I it. did. I still got my cabbage from last year in my wallet too. Maybe that's why you haven't gotten your tax return back. You didn't put your cabbage in your mm-hmm. wallet. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> did you eat your black eyed peas? No. No. No, but this Fuck. year's been pretty good luck so far. <laughs> so apparently, Chad. <laughs> but once again, I really don't believe in luck. Yeah. So I see home. I just, make it. It. <gasps> I've just started to make it a tradition. I actually have learned how to make black eyed peas where I like them. So lots of salt and pepper, some bacon. A can of Rotel. And a smoked sausage. Yeah, well, chopped good. up. Yeah. Really good. It is really good. Kind of Rotel can fix just about anything. <laughs> and it can spice up a pile of government cheese. Yes. <laughs> you mean that case? The mm-hmm. case, that Velveeta. I call it government cheese. No, that's exactly what it is. Because it's the same consistency. You will always find a can of Rotel (laughs) in my pantry. Can of Rotel and some noodles, you got a dinner. We used to eat that a lot growing up. Mm -hmm. We didn't have tomato sauce, but we had a can can of Rotel. There you go. (laughs) It's got tomatoes in it. Yeah. But yeah, I am looking forward to quite a few of the superstitions. The black cats. I am too. I think it was really interesting digging so deep into just a handful of them rather than trying to just trying talk to sh- about a whole bunch of them at yeah, one time. Trying to shove like, 33 down your throat in yeah. one episode. Yeah, that was... Because uh, I think we got into some pretty insightful stuff going through all the symbolism. Yeah. At least to me. Well, I think it's interesting that we talked about Yates. 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 And Young. Young. 
and titties. Titties. Lots of and titties. cocks. Cacks. And, and Bowser. And Bowser. <laughs> oh, yeah. We and got the to Oklahoma Science Museum, all in one episode. <laughs> <laughs> we got to say do-do-do-do-do many times. Yeah. Do-do. Yeah. Shoot, we didn't. I didn't even bring up any books, did I? No. no. Oh, just an encyclopedia. Yeah. So Amy didn't get to go. Book, Book of the Dead. dead. Book of the Dead. <laughs> I guess I could have. The Book of the Dead probably says a lot about like Toth. Toth was a moon god. Now I will I, something we didn't. It was in this that we didn't really talk about very much was hauntings and ghosts. Oh, one of the things that you see a lot of when you if you've watched a lot of like the ghost hunting shows and stuff like that is people always talk about the haunted mirrors. That if you take a picture in this mirror, you'll see a ghost. And a lot of times, what that is is the backing on it is rubbed in one area or something mm-hmm. you know there's some some kind of anomaly in the mirror but then we've also we did a whole episode on black mirrors mm-hmm. and seeing your reflection change along with reflections of other people and behind you yeah the oh, coolest yeah. thing in a ghost setting show i've seen with the mirror is i'm using a thermal camera and watching a thermal entity move through the mirror that's cool and like it wasn't like someone was standing there holding like they set a thermal camera up facing a mirror because it's supposed to be a haunted mirror, yeah. and they left the room and you can see the thermal imaging of someone walking. Well, and if you know anything about thermal cameras, they're not going to pick up thermal on the reflection. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was just a really cool. Almost it was almost like someone cool. walk coming through the mirror. That is cool. And I can't remember which like ghost hunting cool. show, mm-hmm. but yeah, it was a really cool. I had never seen anything mm-hmm. like that. I thought it was really cool. Uh, people have talked about strange mists coming out of mirrors. Like if there's a portal, shadow figures. Um, now we did a whole episode on mirrors around maybe 70 something mm-hmm. where we talked about the studies of Caputo. And looking at one's reflection under dim light, yeah, and it changing, and there there actually there is like a superstition where you're not supposed to look in a mirror at night or by candlelight because you can see like demons and omens of death and it's things like, like that. that. Black mirror and things we're talking about yeah. when you start seeing the transformation of yourself into different things. Because his experiment used a regular mirror; it was just under. A twenty watt bulb. Yeah, that's what which we did here. Would we be about the same as looking at a black mirror. During that episode, we turned off the lights and had candles on the table. Yeah, and we're using a mirror to look into. And yeah, that was that, that was you, me, Dave, and Eli. We were all sitting yeah. around here. Yeah. And Eli was the only one that the reflection didn't change at all. Yeah. And we didn't even know what to make of that at the time. Yeah. Other than he was ill. Well, and he didn't have. He only had one eye, so we were wondering yeah. if it was. No, this was before that, I think. No, it was after because we oh. were tr- we were trying to figure out if if it was because, because he only he, he only had it, the one eye. He only had the one. The one vision. Vision one eye oh. vision that it changed a, the way it looked. A lot of it can be explained with like the Troxler effect and yeah, how we don't actually see out of the center of our eye because of the reflective nerve that it bounces off of. Mm-hmm. See, just more mirrors. I got to say a lot of puns in this one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you were so excited about your puns. Yeah. <laughs> Practitioner nerds. 
practitioners. Yeah, practitioners. <laughs> I love that. He 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 read through it twice. He didn't catch it. And then like the third time he read through it, he's like, "Wait a second, practitioners." I'm gonna keep that one. <laughs> <laughs> if I hadn't been following along, I wouldn't have even caught it. Yeah, but I just looked at it. I was like, "Was that on purpose?" <laughs> I was like, "I like that word, practitioners." It a little describes us. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm actually. I just got all the stuff. I'm gonna start making some black mirrors to put on my Etsy store. Oh. Nice. So. And maybe some regular mirrors too, but definitely black mirrors. They're gonna be super cool. Super cool. Now I just need the time to make them. But we're getting into gardening season, so my time is gonna get shorter. <laughs> I think that's gonna do it for our episode on. Mirror superstitions. Be sure to like us, follow us, and all that fun stuff on Facebook, Instagram, and our Discord server. You can find the links to all of those in our description of this episode and on our website at umpnormalcy.com. You can also send us emails at umpnormalcy at gmail.com if you've got any show ideas you want us to cover or if we ever mispronounce a name like... Tusafucky, wherever it was, the creek that we were at last time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, he always send us an email. If you've got a cool ghost story, send us an email. Um, we love to hear them. I really do. I really like when people send us stories, and I'm like, oh. and I try to debunk it in my head, and because that's what I do. Because I'm a skeptic believer. <laughs> um. And if you ever so wish, we have a link in our description. You can buy us a coffee. Help keep the lights on around here. Because God forbid we have to look at each other in the dark. Right? No, no, ha, 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 ha. Nothing. (laughs) (laughs) And that's interesting, too, because Caputo has another experiment where he makes people look face to face and watch their faces turn into skulls and demons. I've done that with you. I know. We do it every time we have sex. (laughs) Face to face. (laughs) Which when you're married isn't all that often. (laughs) Buzzing. Oh, everybody. (laughs) Did I break her? Did I break her? And he broke down. <laughs> <laughs> I just came out of nowhere. Oh, I'm crying. <laughs> you broke Chad. I uh, we haven't broken Chad in a long time. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Laughter yoga. Oh, that reminded me though. Laughter banishing. Uh, it worked the other day. We were talking about my health class, and I said it was kind of really. I understood it for, like, college freshmen. It was a lot of. How do you not get pregnant? You know. Mm. You know how how much is too much to drink, and you know stuff like that. And I was like, you know, I figured out all these things. I figured it out with experience. And I was like, the reason, uh, best way to not get pregnant is be married 20 years. <laughs> and Ray just started. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just
just reminded me. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Uh, all right, where was I at? <laughs> Before we broke chat. Well, I think that'll do it for this week's episode. So until next time, keep digging. Into the unknown. Unearthing Paranormals is a part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. To hear more great independent productions like the one you just listened to, visit our catalog at greenmushroomproject.com.